In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Well, the Badgers, after a weekend off, now getting ready for Notre Dame. The Badgers and Irish going to play at Soldier Field coming up on Saturday. Number 12 versus number 18, 11 a.m. kickoff, big noon kickoff, which Wisconsin fans are getting used to. Obviously, the Penn State game was that way. This game was that way. And just announced today that Wisconsin and Michigan will also kick at 11 a.m. Uh, the following Saturday. So we have all that to look forward to. But first, it is Wisconsin. It is Notre Dame. It's not Wisconsin versus Jack Cohn, Jesse, according to Paul Christ. It's Wisconsin versus Notre Dame. And uh, I think, obviously, that is going to be the storyline, though, is Jack Cohn going up against his former team? We heard uh, from players today. We also uh, caught up with your uh, counterpart who covers Notre Dame for The Athletic, Pete Sampson. That interview coming up here in a little bit. But obviously the, the main storyline going into this game is going to be Jack Cohn and his, uh, uh, I don't want to call it a revenge game, but uh, certainly he's he's probably got a little bit of fire to him this week in an effort to go up against Wisconsin, who decided to move on from him and, and stay with Graham Mertz Jack Cohn goes to Notre Dame, but we, we asked Pete, you know, kind of what his thought was about where Jack's mind is at, but we covered him for four years. We know that he's not a guy that's going to talk a lot, but I have to imagine in his own mind, he's going to be fired up for Saturday. I have no doubt whatsoever that he is particularly eager to try and shred Wisconsin's defense. I don't know if he will, and I don't know what the snap count's going to look like because Notre Dame presumably will have more of a two quarterback system in this matchup, but Certainly, he will never give the media any fodder. Reporters at Notre Dame had an opportunity to talk to him about the Wisconsin game right after Notre Dame beat Purdue. Notre Dame wasn't going to make Cone available during the week, but they asked him plenty of Wisconsin questions. And he was asked specifically whether he looked at it this way. And, and he said he doesn't. He said he considers it another opponent. And I don't know why I would look at it any other way. Now, I've, I don't know if I fully agree with that, but uh, there has always been a, a quiet confidence and a quiet fire. And you see that unfold on the field. And I think that we're going to see that again against Wisconsin, but clearly from Wisconsin's perspective, there is a ton of respect because of everything that he accomplished here. Nobody can blame him for deciding to leave given the circumstances. This is a juicy matchup from a storyline perspective though. Um, and I love it. Well, yeah, of course you love it. <laughs> um, right. I mean, is that, is that going to be your story? I mean, obviously you asked Paul about, Jack, you asked Jim Leonard about Jack. You asked, I was, I'm sure you asked all the players you spoke with about Jack. Like, is that going to be kind of like where you're going with your story here to, to start the week? Well, uh, Pete and I have a, uh, a beat writer breakdown that's running on Tuesday where we dissect what we expect in this game. But that is one of the stories that I will have this week on this matchup with Jack Cohn against Wisconsin. It, it uh, everything couldn't have come together more perfectly in a sense from a storyline perspective, because you just, you don't see something like this happen very often. Jack was a, a, a multi-year starter. He started 18 games. He led the team to the Rose Bowl. He got hurt and he never had an opportunity to play again for Wisconsin. And now he's at another school out of conference. And it just so happens those teams are playing this season. Like I, how often do you see something like that happen in college football? Even when Alex Hornibrook left, he was down at Florida state and these teams were never going to play each other. So yes, this is, this is one of the stories that I'm working on this week for sure. What did you get from, uh, what sense did you get from the guys that you talked to about 
their eagerness or maybe just what kind of feel they have in going up against Jack. I know that, you know, there are a bunch of different guys who were asked about it. Some of them, or, you know, it's just another game, but uh, you know, most of them recognize that there is something different to this one. Yeah. They acknowledge some of them that it is going to be weird um, because they were lining up against him. If you play defense, you were lining up against him in practice for several years. Uh, if you were one of his teammates on offense and you're a quarterback, you're in the meeting room with him. So uh, it, it does depend on which guy you talk to, but I think they've got a pretty good understanding of what to expect from Jack based on everything they saw at Wisconsin. And, and mostly, I think what they've seen, or at least what they said they've seen so far, is more of the same at Notre Dame with Jack Cohn. He's accurate. He makes good decisions. And these are some of the, I'm paraphrasing, but these are some of the things that the players said. Um, so he's, he's not going to beat himself. And Wisconsin certainly looks forward to the challenge. Um, but yeah, this is... I think from what I've seen so far, I, this is exactly what I expected from Jack. And I know that in our discussion with Pete Sampson, he, he said that there was some expectation at, at Notre Dame that Cone would be more of a game manager type. I think he was more than that at Wisconsin. And I think he's more than that at Notre Dame. Uh, he can make plays. And I'll be interested to see how many opportunities he gets to do so against Wisconsin. Well, that's the thing. Like Some of the plays that he's been able to make are have been down the field throws. They've tested all three teams they've played down the field. They've had a lot of success in all three games throwing the ball down the field. And obviously the one thing that we've seen against Wisconsin in the limited action that we've seen against credible competition against Penn State was Sean Clifford taking shots down the field to Jahan Dotson and uh, and other guys. But to me, that, that kind of comes, I don't want to say it comes down to that, whether you know Wisconsin can hold up uh, against the big play, but I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against Wisconsin. I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, uh, these short little things. I don't think they can, I don't think they're going to have like a 13 or 14 play drive down the field against the Badgers. I think it's going to be if if Jack Cohn's going to be successful, it's going to be uh, throwing deep. And again, the thing is, we don't know exactly who's going to be in Wisconsin secondary either. For the first time all year, we got a status report on a Monday. And there's some big names on there. Colin Wilder, who did not play against Eastern Michigan, and Fayon Hicks, who did not play against Eastern Michigan. Both those guys starting were starters against Penn State and, you know, two senior leaders on that team. And it's unclear if Wisconsin will have them. Now, they had a good performance, I thought, from John Torchio and from Travion Blaylock. And even you could probably throw Hunter Wohler in there, too. And then outside, you know, Caesar Williams said you couldn't really tell a difference when it came to uh, Alex Smith, Alexander Smith being in there for the first time, he getting his first start, you know, in place of Fayon Hicks. And obviously Dean Ingram was there too, but I don't know. I, I, that, to me, that, that may be the story of the game. I think it is one of the big storylines and, and Hicks and Wilder are listed as questionable on that preliminary status report. The other guys that Wisconsin has listed as questionable is safety Tyler Mays and tight end Jack Eschenbach, who's, you know, obviously an important piece to that offense and, and inside linebacker Jordan Turner is out for the game. So those are the, those are the newsworthy items from the status report, but the front sevens, I mean, I, I, I think for both teams are going to do their job. And so to me, it does come down to what do we see in the passing game from each side and with Jack. Yeah, that's, we don't have a lot to go on defensively from, from Wisconsin down the field, but what we did see against Penn state were three huge plays, a couple of major miscommunications um, that led to scoring drives, scoring plays for Penn state. And ultimately that, set the stage for costing the Badgers the game because it was 16-10 game. And, and I think that is something that Jack has done well. He did it well at Wisconsin. Now he had a guy like Quintez Cephas. He's got a number of different weapons. There's three guys at Notre Dame right now that have at least 10 catches. 
Uh, he's got a really good tight end with Michael Mayer. Kyron Williams can do a lot of different things as a, as a runner, catching passes out of the backfield. And then on the flip side, which I know we've talked about a lot, but this is a big storyline is what, honestly, I still don't know what the ceiling is on Wisconsin's passing game. Cause we really didn't have a chance to see it a ton against Eastern Michigan. It wasn't very good against Penn state. Now Graham spread the ball around a little more against Eastern Michigan, but this is different against Notre Dame. And the other thing is it's not just that like Graham hasn't had success down the field. They haven't even tried down the field. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but they've only attempted one pass of 30 yards or more this season. And that's last in the big 10. So they got to dial up some of those shots and they got to hit them if they, if they want, at least in my mind, if they want to beat Notre Dame. Yeah. And the, the thing about Notre Dame's passing game against Wisconsin secondary is Jim Leonard asks a lot of his, his guys, cause they play a ton of man. And so it's essentially a lot of one-on-one and you, and it, when it gets to third down and I expect we'll see a lot of it, there's, there's a lot of blitzes going on. And so there's going to be, you know, Jack's going to have to make quick reads and I think he, probably will uh, you know against a veteran quarterback like like him you know he's probably seen a ton of this now I asked uh, a bunch of guys and because it, it's I, I don't know if there's an advantage one way or the other but they've seen Jack for how long a lot and Jack has seen that defense a lot and I don't know which one gives it has a greater advantage but uh, the defensive guys say you know we we show we do something different on almost every play so I don't know how much of an advantage it'd be and, and even you know you know Jack's tendencies, so maybe you can get into some things that he does not like. I don't know that, but it feels like he probably could. But the other big question is, can the Notre Dame offensive line keep him upright long enough to take some of those deep shots? Because they have not done a very good job of it to this point, yet they've had success, certainly. Notre Dame has had success down the field, but they've given up 14 sacks already this year. Jack was sacked 20 times the entire season in 2019 when he was Wisconsin starting quarterback for those 14 games. So it is a line that's in flux and haven't had a ton of success running the ball outside of a, a long run uh, by Kyron um, against Purdue late in that game to seal it. There are a couple matchups that I think will determine the game, and but I think it a lot a lot of it has to do with keeping Jack Cohn upright because if they're able to throw the ball out of the field, I, I don't feel totally, totally confident Wisconsin secretary is going to be able to hold up. I think there was a game this season where Jack was sacked six times in one yeah. game, and, and a lot of guys, a lot of guys on defense – were diplomatic when asked about the offensive line today, um, which I would expect them to, but you have to imagine that what they've seen on tape uh, leaves them thinking there's going to be an awful lot of opportunity. And I mean, Nick Herbig, when I was talking to him was mentioned how kind of young the group was. And, um, but that's another one of the stories that I'm working on this week is just the, the overall success that Wisconsin's front seven has had to this point. You, you, they're, they're number one in the country right now in run defense. They're giving up just 33 yards a game. But another thing that stands out is just the pressure that they, they seem to be able to get um, and, and some of the sack numbers. I mean, you, you look and, and Nick's already got not a lot, but it's one and a half sacks. He only had one sack all of last season. Jack Sanborn's got a sack. He had one sack all of last season. So they seem to be having a little bit more success in that area. Um, and I do think that that's going to be really important against Notre Dame, given the susceptibility that that offensive line has shown. So that and, to me is one of the critical storylines. And you get, guess who's, guess who's back? You get Leo Leopold, back, right? <laughs> Leopold as, uh, who was it? That was Henningson. Matt that Henningson. Year. Yeah. So you get Leo Chanel back, who is a guy who uh, Jim Leonard said can wreck an offense. And I would agree. He's a physical guy. I, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk with him uh, today, so we don't know exactly how he's feeling, but I have to imagine he's going to be jacked up. He's an intense dude no matter what, but I mean, that's the last guy I want to be on the other end of a hit from, to be honest with you. 
just having him back though, they, what they've done to this point without him and you throw back him back in. And I, I personally think he's either their, you know, they're probably their third best defensive player behind uh, Keanu Benton and Jack Sanborn. But I also thought he was going to have a breakout year and I think he still can. I, I'm really anxious to see what, what he looks like. I, I, I was expecting, I know we talked about this before and you didn't, you thought he kind of had a breakout year last year, but I think he, I think he was going to go be like an all big 10 type of guy this year. And him and Jack, I think have a chance to be this, the best one of, if not the best duo of inside linebackers in the conference and to not be able to play a game until, you know, the fourth week of the season, I'm, I'm sure he's just chomping at the bit to get it done. I'm wondering from your perspective though, who has more pressure on them in this game? Is it Jack Cohn or is it Graham Mertz? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, my first inclination is that it's Jack Cohn um, just because like it, he's a senior and, and, and the time is running out and he's on a team that's 12th and three and O. And even though they've sort of won by the skin of their teeth in a couple of games, this is kind of an opportunity for him to stick it to his former team, even though he would never say that. Um, whereas with Graham, even if they lose this game, like you have to remember, this is his 10th career start. So he's yet to really start a full season of games. I'm not making excuses for him, but what I'm saying is that there are an awful lot of opportunities for him moving forward. um, Which is why I feel like there's sort of more pressure on Jack, even though you look at it and last season, the coaching staff had to make a decision. And ultimately, despite them not talking about it publicly, Clearly, they went with Graham because that's why Jack is no longer with the program. So um, there's more runway, I suppose, with Graham just because he's he's only in his second year as a starter, whereas this is sort of closing in on the end of the road for Jack. And, and this is his one chance to to get get at his former team, even if he wouldn't say it. So yeah. do you have a take on which which side has more pressure? Well, now that you say that, I, I would kind of I would kind of agree with you that Jack does. But it also makes me think Paul Christ has a lot more pressure on him. <laughs> uh, not that he would ever acknowledge that and not that he would ever, you know, feel that, I guess. Eh, I, he has to feel it in, in some respect. But when you make that decision, you're putting a huge chip on Jack Cohn's shoulder, right? And you're putting a huge weight on Graham Mertz's shoulders because you you threw away, not threw away, but you decided to go to a quarterback, an unproven guy, essentially, uh, and uh, send a guy who led you to a Big Ten West title and what, through 19 touchdowns and five interceptions and leading you to that title? Essentially saying, nah, we're good. Thanks. Thanks for what you did. Uh, don't let the door hit you on the butt. You know, like it, it's not how they said that, but it's essentially what they did. And now it's coming home, right? Like you have <laughs> you have to face that guy and you have to face that guy with, with a, a quarterback that you chose over him that has not necessarily set the world on fire. So I think, I mean, among the two quarterbacks, you're probably right with Jack, but in terms of pressure, I think a ton, a ton is on Paul Christ. I honestly, I disagree. I'm not saying that there isn't uh, a lot of discussion outside of the program about this, but I, and maybe it's, it's how the question is framed. I don't really think Paul feels any additional pressure. <laughs> um, well, I didn't, I didn't say, I didn't say that. I said, he, sh- he has more pressure on him. He may not feel it, but there is yeah. more pressure. There's, there's, there's no doubt that there's pressure on him, Jesse. We're going we're gonna to be talking about that decision. If, if Jack Cohn rips it up, we're not going to be yeah. talking about Graham Mertz and, and uh, him making that decision. It wasn't his decision to move on. It was Paul Chris. And Paul Chris would be the one that's going to get uh, lit up for it. 
He will. He will. The thing is they, yes. And obviously hindsight is, is always 2020, but at the time, like they had, they had to make a decision for the long-term future of the program. So even if Jack had been able to come back and play against Iowa for a couple of games and he played this season, I mean, Graham's got technically four more years left, uh, three or four more years. So I don't know. I, I understand that, that aspect of it. And if Jack tears him up and Graham, it doesn't play very well, then it will be more magnified. But I also think part of me just wonders, like, let's just say Jack was the quarterback of this team. Is this team going to the college football playoff? I mean, maybe this team wins the big 10 championship because certainly Ohio state doesn't look as good as we thought. And uh, Penn state's better, but maybe they win that game against Penn state. It's all speculation and it's all could have, would have, should have, but I don't know, I guess. I don't necessarily I'm not fully on board with that about like how how much pressure like Paul will face some second guessing, but also it was a decision made for the long term future, not even just this year. You know, it is it is a decision that had to be made and it was made the way it was because it was for the long term health of the program is the right one. But that doesn't mean people aren't going to second guess and, oh, jump all, and, and jump all over him if Jack Cohn rips it up and, and Graham Mertz continues to play poorly. Like If Graham Mertz never ends up being the guy that we thought he was and you could have had Jack Cohn for a year and a half, I mean, what do you think? I mean, I, to me, you know, like, again, you're right. It'll all be looking back and your, your vision's always that way when you're looking back. But this weekend, there will be a ton of heat, a ton of heat on Paul yeah. Christ if it happens that way. I'm just saying there is, I guess, can, can, can there be pressure on a guy that doesn't actually recognize that pressure? I don't know. I guess that might be a, a question. But Well, I, I understand your point. And in, in terms of the conversation that will take place around this uh, and, the, and the heat from the outside that Paul would take if Jack tears it up, uh, yes, that, that will certainly be a major storyline. And I, I sort of wonder, and not that this is how you should look at a college football season or if you're a fan, but just like, what what is the ceiling on this Wisconsin team with Jack or with Graham? Um, I almost feel like if you weren't going to go to the college football playoff and and you aren't going to win a Big Ten championship, does it does it really matter which guy is the quarterback? Um, although maybe they would win a Big Ten championship with Jack this year. Um, again, that's pure speculation, but it just yeah. I don't know. I I mean. I don't know what the ceiling would have been with Jack. You know, it's, it's a fun what if question, but we're going to find out on Saturday exactly where he's at and how well he can play in a game like this. No doubt we will. And it's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Get uh, an NFL stadium. You get both fan bases in there. It's going to be crazy. It's an 11 a.m. kick, which kind of sucks, but get the, the alternate uniforms, Wisconsin wearing those alternates. It's going to be a fun game to watch, but it's also going to have, I think if Jack tears it up, it's going to be ha- people pulling their hair out and being very, very upset. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and then, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Zach. There's one more point that I wanted to make though about this, and, and maybe it's just framed differently. I think it'll be, it is a bigger deal if Graham plays well than it is if Jack plays well. Uh, so that's, that's not who has more pressure on them. But like Jack has played well. He's played well for a long time. He's helped Notre Dame get to a three and zero start. And again, Tyler Buckner is going to be taking some snacks to snaps too. There's going to be more of a two quarterback system than what Notre Dame showed against Purdue. I certainly would imagine. Whereas with Graham, and I've said this before as well, you, you take out those first two games when he threw seven touchdowns and no interceptions. Um, his last seven starts, he's thrown two touchdown passes and, and seven picks. 
and he was better against Eastern Michigan. But I do think it is a bigger deal if Graham plays well than if Jack plays well in the, in the grand scheme of what it means. For sure. Wisconsin's long, the long-term health of the program. Yeah, for sure. Do you think he's going to? I do. I don't necessarily know what that means, but I would also say that it's on Paul Christ as well to dial up some deep shots because it's, it's not just about Graham. And I, I know Graham talked today about there have been some opportunities available, but he's wound up throwing some checkdowns. I do think that's one of the critical factors to this game for as solid as Wisconsin's has been on the ground uh, more so in week two than week one. Wisconsin's not winning this game if it's one dimensional. You can you can roll down the field against Eastern Michigan. You can run 15 running plays in your first two drives and everything's fine. You can make a mistake and turn the ball over in the red zone and everything's fine in a game like that. But you've got to be able to to have what Wisconsin has not had yet through two games in order to beat Notre Dame. So I, I keep saying it's like I keep waiting for it to happen for Graham. Um and the more games that stack up where it doesn't, it makes you wonder is what which quarterback is he? But I think it's there. It's just a matter of of him executing, of them being willing to take some of those shots, and his wide receivers getting the separation necessary to make those plays. All right, let's get into our interview with with Pete Sampson from the Athletic Covers Notre Dame. Uh, had a had a good chat with him. So here is that. Yes, we do bring in Pete Sampson. He covers Notre Dame for The Athletic. Pete, thanks for jumping on. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame out to a 3-0 start. Jack Cohn, I think, is kind of where I, we would start because, obviously, he spent so much time here and uh, was really, you know, really successful in 2019, didn't play last year, and then has uh, started the first three games for Notre Dame. What has been uh, everyone's impression of Jack to this point you know, through three games? I think pleasantly surprised. Um would probably be the best way to put it. I, you know, I think there was a perception that he would be more of a, you know, game manager type um, based on the kind of more of the offense that he played in Wisconsin. Like he was there to do take play action shots and hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor backs like him. And I mean, no, Notre Dame's offensive line has struggled so much. Um, and you put a quarterback who's not all that mobile behind them. Um, you would think that would be, sort of a recipe for the offense to struggle a little bit, but Jack Cohn has, he's played, played really well. Um, you know, they pushed the ball vertically more than Notre Dame has the last couple seasons. Um, like the receivers really struggled against Purdue with drops, but um, the structure of the offense um, got them open. And I think Jack Cohn's done a nice job so far of, of taking advantage of um, a receiver group that has maybe a little bit more speed than what Notre Dame's had in the past. Pete, you've only had a chance to spend a little time around Jack, but I know reporters had an opportunity to talk to him after the Purdue win, some about Wisconsin. What's your take on what this game may mean to him and, and whether there is added incentive to kind of show the former team what, what he's got this year? I mean, if you ask Jack Cohn about it, uh, it is incredibly dry and there's nothing significant about this game at all other than the fact that he admits that he's so friends with guys on the Wisconsin team. If you talk to people who work with Jack Cohn, uh, there absolutely is a ton more uh, to this game than, than just, hey, it's the next game on the schedule, yada, yada. Um, I, Jack Cohn would never tell you this, um, but you know whether it's his family or his trainers back home, there, there is a feeling that I think Wisconsin kind of did him wrong in some way um, that, you know, 
the fact that he lost his job due to injury and then Graham Mertz comes in and everyone was like, thank God Cohn's out of here. He throws five touchdowns against Illinois, uh, you know, and then Wisconsin's passing game is, you know, a little bit all over the place since. Like, I, I think there are people around Jack Cohn who want to just kind of stick it to Wisconsin on Saturday. Um, but Jack Cohn's never going to say that himself. Well, what do you expect in terms of a quarterback rotation if there is one? Because after week two with Notre Dame, it seemed like all the talk was about there's going to be a two QB system, but you look at what happened against Purdue, and if I'm not mistaken, it was primarily Cone. I don't know if that was a, a matchup situation, but do you expect there to be more of a rotation against Wisconsin? I do. I, you know, some of that is indicative of the fact that there was barely any rotation at all um, against Purdue. I mean, Tyler Buckner played eight snaps. Brian Kelly said after the game he had a tight hamstring, so they weren't going to push it, especially for a running quarterback. Um, you know, he did have – he spun out of a tackle from George Karloftis on third and 16 and ran it for 20 yards. Um, that's the kind of athletic ability he has. So it, I think it's going to be more than a – 90-10 split for Buckner, then, which is how it was against Purdue. Against um, Toledo, it was more of a sort of 60-40 or 70-30. So, I mean, Wisconsin should be prepared for a changeup. Buckner has not really shown himself to be a overly capable passer yet. Uh, I think that will happen. But uh, as a running threat, he is, he is a hard guy to deal with because he is really quick to the edge. Um and is physical enough to stiff arm a linebacker uh, at contact. So I think that Cohn and Buckner will rotate more against Wisconsin than they did against Toledo, or I'm sorry, than they did against Purdue. It might be something more similar to what you saw against Toledo. And like, man, Notre Dame needs a a mobile quarterback for the offense really to function because the offensive line is, like I said earlier, has struggled. And I was going to ask about the offensive line because Wisconsin's front seven has been its strength. Uh, It is largely dominated the first two games and, you know, facing an offensive line like Notre Dame. Obviously, they lost a lot from last year's team and you've had some injuries at at left tackle. What are the issues, I guess, facing them and and how do they overcome them against a front seven like Wisconsin's, which I think, at least in my opinion, is kind of is probably the best that they've seen to this point. Yeah, I mean, it's easily the best front seven that Notre Dame's seen, right? Like, and I, and I don't think Notre Dame will overcome the issues of their front seven. They're down to their their third string left tackle, Tosh Baker, who is like, you know, I don't want to cry poor for Notre Dame. This is a top hundred recruit um, who replaced a top two hundred recruit who replaced a top fifty recruit. Like they've they have material, it's just underdeveloped and inexperienced. Um, They've been poor at the guard positions, which is like, I mean, you think about Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson, Aaron Banks. Um, Notre Dame has just sort of had this like assembly line of great guard play and they, they don't have it right now. I don't, and it's not something that I think is going to get fixed this year either. So, you know, how do you overcome it? You have some more unpredictability with your offense. You stick in the mobile freshman quarterback a little bit more. Um, you throw to the running backs more in the quick game. That's been a real uh, change in Notre Dame's offensive philosophy this year it's like they have two great running backs in Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree but they have not been able to get on track on the ground so they throw the ball to them more and now like you can just sort of chalk up you know a 30 yard screen to Williams here maybe a 40 yard wheel route to Tyree there I mean that's that's stuff that Notre Dame has been able to really hit this season but I mean the offensive line in terms of running the ball on third and short 
Notre Dame, I think that they have had eight or nine third and one situations so far this season, and they've thrown the ball on six of them. Like, that's not who Notre Dame has been the last few years. They've run it 100% of the time and convert 99% of them. Um, and Notre Dame's just not built that way on the offensive line right now. Pete, let me flip it over to Notre Dame defensively. The biggest question or head scratcher, however you want to describe it for Wisconsin, offensively is the passing game or, or lack thereof, especially consistently down the field. Um, and the more we watch Penn State, the more it perhaps makes sense because Penn State is pretty damn good. Wisconsin really didn't show very much against Eastern Michigan. Um, but what does Notre Dame bring in the secondary? It seems like they've given up some yards passing. Is this a defense that you think Wisconsin can potentially take advantage of down the field? I don't think so. Um, I'm not saying that Wisconsin won't hit for some big plays, but like Notre Dame has given up two huge pass plays this year. One of them was on a wheel route where there was a, just a, a busted missed tackle. Um, you know, and the other one at Florida State was it was not like they're not getting the ball thrown over their head is I guess the way that I put it. And if you've watched Notre Dame this season and you see number 14, Kyle Hamilton, he is as freaky a defensive back as I have covered in 20 years at Notre Dame. And maybe that I've covered, and I'm including like the other teams that I've covered, like USC under Pete Carroll, Alabama, uh, Clemson, like, I have not seen a guy like him at the back of the defense. He's got three picks already. He could have had – he should have two more. He could have had a pick six on almost the first play of the game against Purdue. Should have had a ridiculous interception against Toledo. He had a fourth down stop where he just – like Purdue had the play set up. They had acres of space to run into, and Kyle Hamilton just comes out of nowhere. So I don't I don't think that Wisconsin is set up to really expose Notre Dame secondary. I don't – the Irish are not great at corner. I don't want to like sort of present them as like some lockdown pass defense, but if they can tackle as well as they did against Purdue, I think that they will be fine. Um, so I, to me, the, the two best units on the field in this game are Wisconsin's front seven and Notre Dame's front seven. We'll see how they'll, like, I don't know what kind of box score that's going to create, but um, I don't think that Notre Dame's secondary is one that, Graham Mertz is probably going to get right against, if that makes any sense. I No, that, that makes actually perfect sense. I, I guess I'm wondering in terms of Notre Dame's r- running defense, obviously they, they've given up some yards. A lot of that, I think, was against Florida State uh, and, and Toledo, not so much against Purdue. But what do you see from – I mean, Wisconsin had, has had success running the first two games. Wasn't overly successful against Penn State, but certainly had you know 350 yards against Eastern Michigan. Is this uh, – is this a group that's going to be able to stop Wisconsin's ground game, especially if they're not so worried about the pass game? I, th- I think so, or at least slow it down. Um, you know, Notre Dame's stats are weird defensively because they had, uh, an, I believe, an 89-yard touchdown run get allowed against Florida State, which uh, there were two just egregious missed, missed tackles. Those guys don't play anymore, essentially. Um, and then they gave up a really bad long run against Toledo, uh, where Kyle Hamilton actually missed a tackle in space, uh, which we have not seen the rest of the season or really the rest of his career. So, you know, Notre Dame, they rotate a lot on the defensive line. It's a good group. Isaiah Foskey, number seven, is is very talented as a pass rusher. 
Their linebackers have been much better than I thought they would be. J.D. Bertrand, number 27, leads the team in tackles. He is a junior who's who'd barely played um, up until this point. So if they tackle as well as they did against Purdue, I mean, Wisconsin will have some success running the ball. Uh, but I but I would be surprised if Wisconsin came out and ran for like 250 yards. Um, but I would also, if I was Wisconsin, I would I would press the issue uh, in the run game to make Notre Dame show me that they can really really stop it because um, Notre Dame has not faced a run game quite as sophisticated as as Wisconsin to date. Pete, Notre Dame is obviously three and zero, but the Purdue win was the first one that was decided by more than a field goal. Maybe this is just like how it's been in years past with Wisconsin where there's a fatigue factor afterward and the next week the team has nothing. But Florida State's 0-3. They lost to Jacksonville <laughs> State. Toledo goes out and loses to Colorado State. Uh, Notre Dame, perennially, uh, obviously a, a college football playoff contender, at least in a lot of years, but I'm, I'm wondering how good is this Notre Dame team? Like, do you believe they're – college football playoff level good at this point. And I know we're only a quarter of the way through. I'm just trying to get a sense of what, on what level is Notre Dame football right now? <laughs> they're, I mean, they are not serious college football playoff contenders. I mean, like if they were eight, no, I would probably still say that um, this team, it's just not built. Like you can't make the playoff and have a bad offensive line. That just like, doesn't work that way. Um, and Notre Dame's offensive line is not very good. So I, to me, I, this season, I always felt like 10 and two would be a very good year for Notre Dame. Um, after the first three weeks, you're like, ah, man, 10 and two might even be a little bit of a stretch. They got some things figured out against Purdue um, defensively, for sure. Offensively, they had some really bad drops in the past game, which is They've had nine drops all season. Seven of them were against Purdue. One of them was like, a surefire touchdown. Other, there were a couple other ones that would have been 30-yard shot plays. Um, I don't think that's going to happen against Wisconsin. Um, I also don't see Notre Dame as being a team that's going to win a bunch of one-score games and suddenly you look up and they're 12-0 and in the college football playoff. But, you know, the season does feel a little bit differently where everybody's got problems, Clemson, Ohio State included. Um, so it's like, I look at Notre Dame, I still feel like they could be a 10 and two team. Um, I think in some ways, like your perception of Notre Dame maybe has changed the most by watching the Wisconsin Penn state game or watching what's going on at Virginia tech or North Carolina, which is lost already. Um, you know, USC is a, a total mess. Cincinnati struggled a little bit against IU. So you can look at Notre Dame's schedule and talk yourself into like, well, it might be favored in all of these games, but I just don't think Notre Dame is built uh, with the offensive line in particular to be like a serious, serious playoff contender this season. What kind of environment are you expecting at Soldier Field? Uh, obviously, it's a huge, not too far, obviously, from South Bend, but also uh, a large Notre Dame, I assume, uh, presence in terms of alumni. Same thing, obviously, for Wisconsin. Uh, what kind of a environment are you expecting there uh, on Saturday? I think it's gonna be awesome. I it's one of the few times I almost wish that was a night game, which like I hate covering as a reporter. But um, from an environment perspective, I think it would just been insane at night. You know, it'll be packed. It'll be loud. I mean, I think you know, kind of a bowl like a bowl game that matters atmosphere. I guess is probably the best way to put it. Um, I mean, Notre Dame fans have been looking forward to this series 
since it was announced. I'm assuming Wisconsin fans probably feel the same way. So it's like Notre Dame doesn't have a whole lot of first-time opponents that pop up. Like maybe there's one every year or every other year. But uh, Wisconsin, I think, you know, the last time they played was Eric Parsegian's first season in 1964. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of interest in it. You know, maybe Wisconsin is not the brand name of Georgia or Alabama, but like I think people around Notre Dame respect quite a bit, like what Wisconsin has become as a program. Pete, I've got one more very important question for you. Uh, it is prediction time, so I'm going to put you on the oh, spot uh, before we've really gotten into uh, the grind of game week here. I think Wisconsin's favorite in this one, but what's, what is your prediction and how does Jack Cohn do against his former team? Give me a stat line. Uh, you know, I before the season, I predicted Notre Dame to lose to Wisconsin, and if the Purdue game had gone like Toledo and Florida State, I would have stuck with that. Certainly, if Wisconsin had looked better against Penn State, I would have stuck with it. But I feel like I'm going to talk myself into a Notre Dame kind of 23-20 kind of game. Um, I don't think Jack Cohn is going to like light the world on fire uh, on Saturday. So I, I think he probably will be more of a game manager type against his old team. So, you know, kind of your... 16 of 23 for 200 yards. But I mean, to me, it, it's going to be a low scoring game. It, it, it probably what decides it for Notre Dame is like, can they get your off? Can they get the offensive line a little bit better? Um, and then can you get Kyle Hamilton in a spot where he forces a catastrophic error from Wisconsin, which like he is more than good enough to do. So I think it's gonna be a low scoring game. Um, I think they're going to have some good, like, Big Ten West vibes uh, to it. So I, I'll go Notre Dame, like, 23-20, but my confidence in that is incredibly low. I just I just want to be upfront with that, that I do not have much conviction in that prediction at all. We'll be holding you to that prediction. No, um, that's, not, that's just like you're not even listening. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Pete. Hey, thank you very much for your time and look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, so that was Pete Sampson from The Athletic, covers Notre Dame. Uh, you put him on the spot there, Jesse, asking him about what kind of stat line he was expecting from Jack Cohn. I'd like to put you on the spot here. What kind of stat line are you expecting from Jack Cohn? Well, I'm glad he went line for line. Like I was very impressed that he came up with something. Um, I think Jack will complete 14 of 20 passes for 186 yards with one touchdown and no interceptions. I'm it's picking like you, that because <laughs> it's like you've been to the, it's like you've been to the future and you've, you've already seen this and you're exact, you're exactly picking exactly what it's going to be. I did recently watch back to the future. So maybe there was some osmosis going on there <laughs> through the television. He's completed 62% of his, almost 63% of his passes for Notre Dame. He completed almost 70% of his passes for Wisconsin in 2019. So that's why I'm going with 70%. I don't think it's going to be an overwhelming stat line because I think Wisconsin's defense is going to be up to the challenge, but Jack is not going to beat himself. I mean, we, we saw it every now and again, um, but he's human. He's not perfect when he was at Wisconsin. I just don't think he's going to make that massive mistake. Yeah. And I look, he's only made a couple of, I guess only one really boneheaded throw this season. That was the, the pick six for Toledo. And he was under pressure a ton that game. 
I can't see him throwing less than 30 times a game in this one because I don't think they're not going to be able to run the ball, right? Then again, how many opportunities? You think he's going to throw more than 30 times in this game? Have you seen his first three games? Yeah, but I don't know how 35, many 33, he's 30, that's and that's what I was about to say. I don't know if Wisconsin, if Wisconsin is able to hold on to the ball like they did in the first two games where they were both over 40 minutes, then maybe not. Do you think they're going to be able to do that? That would suggest that you think they're going to be able to run the ball the, the way that they want, because that's the only reason that they were able to, to hold on to the ball as long as they did. Well, right now, Wisconsin does lead the country in time of possession. They've had the ball over 40 minutes in the first two games each. That's what they do. Um, I, that's, yes. that's what they do. They lead the country every year in, in time of possession. I think they're going to, if it's not 40, it might be 35 minutes. Uh, you know, that, that's one thing that the defense, when it gets off the field, that's got to be so frustrating for an offense. You don't know when you're going to get the ball back again. Um, but I think I'm also basing that on, and and this is just speculation, but how many snaps will Tyler Buckner get? Um, how will they use him? Like, I think, I mean, he might wind up causing more problems for Wisconsin's defense than Jack does just because it's a different dynamic. It's someone who can get out in space, get on the edges. Um, there have been times where Wisconsin has played a true dual threat quarterback and had some issues. Um, and he's, he's pretty special. And, and even when I asked Jim Leonard about that, he talked about the, the energy that, that Buckner was able to bring. So that's, that's part, those are a couple of what, what I'm factoring into, but yeah, Jack may throw it 30 plus times, in which case I'm still going to stick with the 70%. He's going to go 21 for 30. So <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm at on that. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford in that first game threw 33 times. Mm-hmm. They were on the field for, I think, 50, it was like 51 plays, 52 plays. Yeah, I think so. It was like 95, 96 plays at 51. Yeah. So even if they do hold on to the ball as much as they want, I don't think they're going to be able to run it. And Jack has been throwing these first three games. I can't imagine he's ever gone three straight games, throwing the ball 30 times, <laughs> throwing it at least three times. Maybe he has. Um, I don't know. Either way, I, I do think he ends up with over 30 passes. And because that's, I, I really think that's the only way they beat Wisconsin is if, they, if they're able to throw the ball against, against them because I don't think they're going to be able to run it. You might be talking me into it then. I'm going to say 21, 21 for 30, 227 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. No interceptions. <laughs> to, for you, though, how important is it going to be for Wisconsin to force turnover? I mean, they turnovers historically in football, the biggest determining factor in whether you win or lose. But with this Wisconsin defense, didn't force one in, in week one, did get one yes uh, against Eastern Michigan off a tip pass. Be coming into the season, they had had gone 13 straight games with a turnover. I think that that's another one of those ones where, like, if they can force Jack into a mistake or even force Tyler Buckner into a mistake, it could be a game changer. We saw I mean, we we saw that against Penn State and Wisconsin's offense, the game changing nature of those turnovers that they had uh, in the red zone. Yeah, I think it's massive. That is one area that for for as much success statistically that that group has had to this point, particularly the front seven, we haven't seen a lot of those turnovers. And, and obviously that's an emphasis in a game like this. Yeah. That, I, I think this is probably a lower scoring game. I think it's a one possession game. And because of that, a play like that makes all the difference. It does. And and we'll see if, if uh, Jack will make that mistake. And it may not even be Jack's fault, right? It may be a, like it was against Toledo, a guy coming free on his blind side and knocking the heck out of him. And the ball comes free and Wisconsin is able to pick it up. We've seen that throughout 
time. Matt Hedinson said today that, you know, they haven't forced a fumble yet. And as a defensive line, that's something that they uh, want to do and they pride themselves on. Going back to uh, the pressure, I, you know, we, we've talked about the outside pressure, I think, is kind of where a lot of people think where Wisconsin may have an advantage in this game. But I think the inside guys probably could as well. We, we've seen them attack more. We heard Jim Leonard kind of talk about it today, that it's not just about holding guys up so that, you know, Leo Chanel and, and Jack Sanborn can go make plays. They've been, they've been kind of playmakers to this point as well. The inside backers? No, the, the, the interior linemen, like the, the Matt Henningsons and the Keanu oh, yeah. Hens. They've been playmakers to this point. So Keanu's gotten his hands on a couple of passes, and, and Henningsen had that sack. So like, I, I think they've been more playmakers this year, than, than at least through two games, than they have been in previous years. And I know that was kind of a focus coming in. Yeah, and so here's an interesting pro football focus, focus stat for you is that, like, who, who do you think has had more pass rush snaps on this team than anybody else defensively? Uh, well, because it, we were talking about inside linemen, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Keanu Benton. Yeah, it's Benton and it's Henningsen, 37 pass rush snaps a piece. And next is Nick Herbig 35, which really isn't all that much of a surprise. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those, those guys up front have had an opportunity to make plays. A lot of times D linemen don't get big stats and haven't necessarily seen a ton of it early this season, but. I think Jim Leonard's giving them chances and that seems to be one of the things that's helping to free up other guys too. Um, Cause those are big dudes that are occupying multiple guys. So I did think that that was kind of an interesting stat um, on the guys that, that they've utilized most in pass rush situations, but those guys are also in there when they go to their, their nickel package too. It's, it's Benton and Henningsen. And then they probably have more of an opportunity to, to do some of that stuff. The one guy we haven't talked about from Notre Dame that we, we I mean, obviously Pete mentioned it when we were talking with him, uh, that's Kyle Hamilton. Uh, he, he shows up everywhere. I, I know Pete was mentioning the play against Purdue. I think it was a fourth down play. And you know, all I had to do was get a yard and he came out of nowhere and dropped him and, and got the ball back for Notre Dame. I think Wisconsin players are very, very aware of, of him. And I think even the defenders, I know that Jim Leonard and Scott Nelson talked about how aware they are of how good of a player he is. I, that he has to be at the top of your scouting report. If you are Wisconsin, Wisconsin's offense. I think defensively, even though you're not studying for that, you appreciate greatness. And that's what Kyle Hamilton is at this point as, as dynamic of a guy back there as Wisconsin's seen in a long time. He's already got three interceptions. So He's the type of guy who can change the game in one play. And, and certainly when you've got a guy that talented, you have to be aware of him on every play. So when Graham Mertz is looking down the field, um, if you throw it in that dude's area, something bad might happen to you. So you better make sure your man is open. Um, and he is one. I think he's, you look defensively. That's probably the, the one guy that you, you want to see. Like you would pay money to see somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, I, He's a very, very good player, and that's I. I, I would not. He's an All-American. I would not be surprised if he makes a game-changing play, kind of like Brisker did in the first game uh, with that interception of Graham down at the goal line. Uh, just made a great play, read his eyes, knew exactly where it was going, and those those guys are dangerous in the middle of the defense, especially with a quarterback who you know is struggling a bit, has struggled a little bit uh, against better competition. Yeah, is that it? Eh. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm going to go ahead and say that's fair. Uh, Wisconsin's run game, though, against uh, against Notre Dame, we we heard, I mean, they're giving up 151 yards a game. 
and uh, nearly 4.3 yards of carry. Can Wisconsin have success against them? I know those stats are a little skewed by some of the big plays that Toledo had um, and Florida State got, but Wisconsin's had a couple big plays of their own. Chaz breaking off that 60-yarder and Isaac breaking off the 82-yarder. Can they have success on Saturday? Do you think they will have success? And I, I guess, feel- and I guess, what kind of success? I mean, what what yeah. what 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 determines <laughs> and defines success in this? First, I was going to say I, I feel more confident saying that they are capable of having success based on what we saw in week two, despite the fact Eastern Michigan is nowhere <laughs> uh, near as good as a team like Notre Dame, just because. Um, it seemed as though the offensive line was able to figure some things out. And yes, that's a different type of opponent. And we saw perhaps what the rotation could look like too, because there, there was no Jalen Berger in week one. Chesma Lucy carries more than 30 times and he only averages 3.9 yards per carry. Um, what does success look like against Notre Dame? Well, it better be moving the chains. Uh, and, and if you don't have the ball for 40 plus minutes, you better have it for more than Notre Dame in a game like this. So in terms of yards per carry, if you could collectively get four and a half or something like that, four plus from your top three running backs, that'd be pretty good. And maybe you can break an occasional big play. You've got like what Isaac Arendo did with that 82 yard touchdown run. Um, That way, Wisconsin doesn't find itself in a situation where, because they're going to run the ball a lot. (laughs) We know that you run the ball, run the ball, and it's third and six, and now you're in a tough spot for Graham and the offense. So I think they've got to make sure that it's a third and manageable, which allows them to run the ball again and get another first down. I mean, that's kind of – that's maybe too simplistic, but I think that's part of what it's going to take against Notre Dame. I don't want to be too cliche here, but do you have an X factor, like a guy that if, if Wisconsin's going to win, he's going to have to play a big part of it, whether it's on offense or defense? As soon as you asked the question, my mind went to Danny Davis just because um, we we, we saw what he did against Penn State. Like he had a he had a pretty good game. Like he's been targeted. I think it's is it 14 times or 15 times? He and Ferguson are the top two targets, clearly. But it's mostly complimentary guys, I think, in the wide receiver room. And I think Danny is capable of being something more right now. And I think he's got to be, if, if you say, well, Wisconsin's going to got to be able to take the top off, off the defense and they got to hit some deep shots. Who would you say they're throwing the ball to Jim Ray DK can do it. I think Kendrick Pryor can do it. Jake Ferguson to me is more of a throw it over the middle safety valve, move the chains, get eight yards or 12 yards or something like that. But Danny is the true deep threat. I think in that group. So he, to me would be the X factor. Unless the easy answer is Graham Mertz, because <laughs> he just has to play better. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But I think uh, a guy that also stands out to me would be Jalen Berger, mm-hmm. uh, because we we saw you know maybe he just had to get his feet wet a little bit. We, maybe he just wasn't totally all in, uh, not all in, but you know what I'm saying, like just all ready to go from the, from the jump against Eastern Michigan, kind of feeling his way through. I think he could have. I think he could end up having a big game. And potentially, you know, break off a couple of big runs because I think, you know, obviously Isaac Rando has the speed and, and Chez seems to be pretty good in, in finding his way through traffic. But I think Jalen still is, is the most talented of the three. And I wonder if after, you know, getting that week and then get another week of practice, maybe he might be able to jump off and, and give them something more than what we saw against, against Eastern Michigan. I mean, you, you think about his best games last year. I mean, he, he actually played pretty well against Northwestern. I mean, he was, he obviously had 15 carries. 
I don't even have to look up the carries thing. I know that. Um, but the, you know, 87 yards, right? So like he, against some of the better competition last year, he actually played pretty well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, get some, I, I shouldn't say be surprised. I w- would point to him and say, if he has a good game, I think Wisconsin offense has a good game. I was going to ask you if I put the over under on carries for him at 15.5, <laughs> what you would take. I'd take the under all day, all day until it, until it goes the other way. I mean, there's, there's just no other back in history of college football that's ever carried that exact same number of times in five straight games. Yeah. He he's shifty and he like pretty consistently in those, especially in those, the three games, the Michigan Northwestern Indiana, he averaged 5.8 yards per carry or better in all of those games. And Indiana yep. had a pretty good defense last season. He carried 15 times for 87 yards. That's 5.8 yards per carry. So yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, my question would be how many carries <laughs> is he going to get? Assuming it's not 15 is what we saw against Eastern Michigan, the type of rotation that Gary Brown envisions where, okay, Chez is your number one. So he's going to get a handful more than Berger, but there that's clearly your one, two combination. So it's 20 carries and 15 carries, or it's 18 and 14, and and Isaac gets four or six or something like that. I mean, that's my big question is just we don't exactly know what this rotation looks like in a big game, and we're going to find out Saturday. I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Right, and you're also wondering, can they get involved in the pass game? Yes. Can they, can, can, will Graham be willing to you know, hit the check down? And give you know give them some room and let them and let them run. It just hasn't been a part of Wisconsin's offense for whatever reason. And uh, we we know that Jalen can catch the ball, and obviously Isaac has wide receiver background as well. And, and Ches has shown the ability to as well. So I those those are things those are questions that I think I would love to get an answer from or to get an answer to. Like can can they be more involved in the pass game? But I don't think the, anybody that we're going to talk to offensively is going to give us an answer on that one. So. And by that, I just mean Paul Christ. So it just, <laughs> it just we don't know, but they have that ability. So at, at some point, at some point, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep saying it at some point, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like I think, if I yeah. just keep on saying it, if I just keep on bringing it up, eventually it's going to happen. But I think they need to be. It's a dynamic. that It's like an untapped potential there. And it's it, when I was talking to Jalen Berger a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago now. He, that's something that he talked about. He prefers playing in a system like that where they can line him up in the slot and he can get some of his touches, not in the backfield where he's going to get beaten up by three dudes who are meeting him at the line of scrimmage. That's what he did in high school when he was out in space. And I think he and Chez have a very similar skill set. And obviously we know Garendo's background as a wide receiver. So it just seems like something you have in your toolbox and you, you should bust it out and utilize it. And it's hard to say, have they not done it because they didn't want to put more of it on film? Um, I don't really know, but what I would say is if you, (laughs) if you don't use everything you have in a game like this, when will you use it? Maybe you're saving it for the Michigan game the next week, but I can't imagine that. No, but that, yeah, that, that's part of my thought process too, is that like, I I mean, from a, I guess I would ask this question of you as I'm thinking about it. When, when is the last bunch of running backs that had that type of pass catching ability at Wisconsin, um, you know, there's been one guy who's been a dominant rusher and we've seen like Jonathan Taylor, he got much better, especially as a junior, as a pass catcher and was utilized way more, but as a collective group, yeah, three I, guys deep, that's a lot. Yeah. I, I, you probably have to go back to what was Monte ball and, and James white 
and even a young Melvin Gordon, even though he didn't always catch the ball extremely well, like you, he, it really wasn't part of his game till later in his career. I mean, Corey uh, Clement caught the ball well, so maybe you know Corey, James White, and Melvin Gordon. I don't know that you probably have to go back to that because um, you're right. It was it usually is like one or two guys that can catch the ball, and then you have another guy who's who's just mainly your runner. Um, you know, Dari was a good catcher, and, and when he was with Corey. But then you also had Taiwan Deal, who wasn't that wasn't necessarily anything that he was going to do. So, in terms of just their ability to do it, you're probably it's it's probably been quite a while. Yeah, I think so. But we got to see it. We, we yeah, exactly. would like yeah. to see you would like to see them utilize those guys, especially if you're having. That's the other thing. If you're having trouble getting the ball downfield, there's other ways to to get going in the passing game to make Graham feel comfortable, and it seems like that's an easy option. And yeah. this is me arm armchair quarterbacking. I'm not the one calling the plays, but that's what we do here. Well, some people might want you to call the plays. We don't, <laughs> you know, I would not recommend that after the first two weeks. Uh, yes. You know what? You know, it'll be uh, interesting to see how this week plays out. We will be back later this week to, to break it down even further and, and get ready to go down to Chicago as uh, Wisconsin, Notre Dame going to play Saturday. We will have a show uh, again. It'll be eh, Thursday or Thursday afternoon, Friday morning. Uh, we'll put it out. You'll get our picks and uh, and everything like that. All right, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.